Well, hello, listener, and welcome to this new episode of Head and Heart, a podcast by Probe Ministries. I'll be your host today, Paul Rutherford. Probe Ministries is a biblical worldview and Christian apologetics ministry to equip Christians to think biblically and to free believers from captivity to culture. And today we have a fun episode about how to deal with information overload. How do you do it? There's so much information that comes at you all the time, every day. How do you sort through it all? How do you do it in a way that's helpful and biblical? And how do you manage it all? To do that, I'm going to have a conversation with uh, a new friend of mine, Matthew Tingblad. Matthew, hey, welcome to Paul. the podcast. Thank you. Yes. Happy to be here. Glad you're here. You haven't been on the podcast before, so why don't you tell us something about yourself, Where you're, what you do? Tell us about yourself. Sure. Yeah. I serve as a speaker and author with Josh McDowell Ministry. For those who don't know, Josh McDowell Ministry is an apologetics ministry of crew. We want to serve others until the whole world hears about Jesus by providing you know, messaging and content that will help people live their faith well and to support it and all those things. So uh, we've recently started having more communicators than just Josh, whom the ministry is named after. And mm-hmm. I'm one of the kind of new, young, fresh blood here that's uh, jumping in and <laughs> helping carry our message forward. And just in case you are unsure, listener, Crew is the uh, what is formerly called Campus Crusade for Christ, right? Which of course is so much bigger than a campus ministry. It is, yeah. A lot of people when they hear Crew or Campus Crusade for Christ, they think campus ministries, which makes sense because that is a huge part of what we do. But Crew is actually divided into into many different areas where we are now influencing culture on all different sorts of levels. We have a ministry with families called Family Life. You may have heard of that. We have uh, Athletes in Action as a ministry of Crew. There's a military ministry. There's an online digital media presence kind of ministry. Josh McDowell ministry, of course. Jesus Film, if you've heard of that, is also a ministry of Crew. So there's a lot that goes on. That's incredible. Yeah, I was familiar that Crew is a huge ministry. The Campus Crusade, even before it changed names, was was also a huge global ministry. Lots and lots going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is fantastic. Uh, I have an affinity. I don't know if we talked about this, Matthew, but I came to Christ basically through Campus Crusade for Christ. Oh, when, wow. When I was in college. Cool. Yeah, so nice. I have an affinity for the ministry. I love the ministry. It's a great ministry. I'm, obviously, I wouldn't be a believer if it weren't for them. So I'm grateful for your ministry. Well, your, thank you. your parent ministry, because yeah, yeah. you work for Josh McDowell Ministry. I work with Josh McDowell Ministry, yeah. And I right. was part of campus ministry with Crew um, before I started with Josh. Oh, were you? After I graduated undergrad school, um, I got going as an intern with them and served in the Fargo-Moorhead area up in Minnesota. Okay, and yeah. Fargo, North Dakota. But I was on the Minnesota side, and so did a lot of work uh, with some campuses up there and, you know, speaking and evangelism and discipleship and all sorts of fun stuff. That's super cool. See, that's another commonality we have because I, right out of college, I interned with Crew for one year. Yeah, you know, my, what do you know? My campus had a, uh, I chose for the overseas option, if you will. The, mm-hmm. they, they called it STENT back then. Really clever name. It was an acronym. It was basically a one-year um, internship. Yeah. And I went overseas to Asia and it was fantastic, life-changing, transformative experience for me. Absolutely loved it. It was great. Anyway, those are fun. Okay, so you work for Josh McDowell Ministries. That's that's also an apologetics ministry. And for our listeners' benefit, why don't you tell us what's the website for your ministry? Well, the website is josh.org. Nice and simple. Josh.org. Super easy. Yeah. yeah. And if you go to josh.org slash Matthew, you'll find 
the content that's a little more specific to me, like who I am and the talks that I give and stuff like that. But all around the josh.org website, we've got some great resources, um, some research. Uh, a lot of a lot of our books that Josh has written are on the store that you can buy there. Um, it's a, I would definitely encourage anyone listening to just explore that website, get familiar with it, because there's some good stuff there. Yeah, we want to really help people who are looking for answers and why they can believe that Christianity is true. And so there's, you know, a lot of free resources there. And we also have the website available in Spanish. I don't remember what the URL is, but I wish I did. <laughs> for those who are more Spanish speaking, or maybe that's your primary language, um, shoot us a message and I'm sure we can help you find that Spanish version of josh.org as well. That is fantastic. And uh, I, I definitely personally am a, f- a fan of y'all's ministry, Josh McDowell Ministry, and, and endorse a ton of stuff that y'all do. So please go check them out if you haven't already. Familiarize yourself with them or their ministry or their resources. So just lots of endorsement and lots of love from our end on Probe Ministry side. Oh, thank you. So, uh, so to get to the topic at hand, we're talking about information overload. How do you deal with information overload? Every day we're just inundated with information. And so that's really kind of what we want to deal with. Matthew, I'll give you the first volley here. How would we deal with this issue? How do we deal with all the information that we are experiencing in this world? Um, I'd like to kind of open up a little bit with the story of why this caught my attention. Um, I remember, you know, I was working with Josh McDowell Ministry for a while, helping people with questions that they had in apologetics. And someone wrote to us, turned out that he was in town. And I'm like, hey, let's actually meet up and talk about this. Uh, This was a young fellow who had grown up in a Christian environment. And he considered himself a Christian for a long time, but he was experiencing so much doubt about Christianity that he wasn't really sure if he was ready to call himself a Christian anymore. But he still liked the idea, and so we decided to meet up, and I had the chance to sit down with him and hear his story and kind of how he got to where he is in life and so forth. And it was an interesting moment for me, Paul, because I remember talking through some of the big reasons for why Christians can believe that Christianity is true. You know, existence of God, evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, and so on. And as I was going through this just kind of database of stuff and trying to, how should I say, like almost debug this guy's troubled faith, Uh um, I was a little surprised because it seemed like he was more or less tracking with me and even agreeing with me to a certain degree the whole way through. And, And so I was like, well, what is actually bothering you? Is it the existence of God, the evidence of Jesus, the evidence of the resurrection? Not Not so much. Like he had some hesitations, but we more or less agreed. And it came down to this, that this fellow I was having the opportunity to sit down with, what was really nagging at his faith was this epistemic dread that there's just so much out there. Like that in and of itself has become a challenge for the church, has become a challenge for believers. I often talk about it as this kind of ocean of information where we're out in a small little fishing boat and there's, you know, water as far as the eye can see. And it's just all this stuff. And I mean, this is more than a fire hose. It's an ocean, you know. Uh, We're being blasted with our eyes and ears like every moment with this kind of content, more and more coming out all the time. In fact, I remember I was kind of looking at how much information we have in this world to try and put some numbers to this. Mm-hmm. Um, in about three seconds, okay, the time it takes to maybe draw a, a, a deep breath, Okay, 343,000 gigabytes of information are processed online. Uh, 28,000 tweets are sent out. Eight new websites are launched and 25 hours of video is uploaded onto YouTube. All of it in the time it takes to draw a single breath. All that in three seconds. Yeah. That's astounding. <laughs> what it, like, 
my goodness. I mean, this is just a different kind of world we live in than people in generations past. Um, and it's, you know, as I shared, it's become a big challenge. So to sort of, I guess, get to your question here, how do we address the, the information that we're dealing with and how do we sort through all of this information? The way I see it, uh, I, I like to say that there are three hurdles, three levels of discernment that we need to be able to hop over in order to find ourselves in a healthy place navigating all the information we have in our world. The first level would be dealing with all of the information that's just totally made up. It's fake news. Mm. Um, it's it's just lies and mm -hmm. it's intended to deceive. Like there's all of that sort of information we have uh, circling around on the internet these days. Uh, the second level of discernment, I would say, would be like information which may be technically true, maybe, but it's still incredibly misleading. Um, and so you have, you know, a lot of uh, news articles, headlines and things which say one thing and they lead you to believe this when it actually is meaning this. Or you hear this one anecdotal story which gives an idea of one thing about how this world works, but in reality it's an exception to how the world actually is. Uh, so we have a lot of misleading information that we need to deal with as well. And then third would be addressing the information which is not misleading and not intended to lie or deceive. It, it Information that could be very well presented and, and carefully presented, but still might just be wrong. How do we deal with that? I mean, there's this is where you get into the debates between like a well-educated, level-headed Christian versus an atheist, you know, or or where you get Catholics and Protestants talking over their own views and things of that sort. So how do we sort through that information? Those are the three different levels that I find are necessary to journey through as we just observe this world of information that we are presented with. Yeah, so let me let me see if I got you straight here, Matthew. So the three levels of information that we needed to deal with, the first one is, and please correct me where I'm wrong here, but the uh -huh. first one is like fake news, things that pretend to be true, but they're patently not. Right. The second one is might be true, but it's misleading mm -hmm. and maybe unuseful, unhelpful, or, or wrong. Uh, and then the third level of information to deal with is people who definitely sincerely think they're true, but they're trying to hash it out and they're not certain who's right or who's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you said that pretty well. Did I get the last, I think I'm least clear on that last one. Well, the last one, the, the way I often say it is, you know, you have, I mean, once the first two levels of information are defined, like what's left, you still have a lot of information that's quality information, but still might be wrong. And so really just how do we, how do we deal with that? So before we move on any farther in terms of how to deal with information overload, mm -hmm. I want to back up to comment on a couple things. And sure. in reverse order, one of them was to go back to the story of the guy who maybe inspired you to embark on this project to begin with. The guy who was dealing with, what did you call it? Epistemic dread. Yeah. I love that phrase. <laughs> so when you say that, what I think of is this guy epistemically in terms of knowledge felt dread. So he felt this fear or anxiety, some kind of like this negative, like weight on top of him, this fear that, mm -hmm. uh, and this is where you can correct me again, but it sounds like he was struggling. He was afraid that there's something he doesn't know. It was like, there's so much information and and I can't I can't absorb all of it. So what if I miss the one thing that was the most important? 
Right. I'm making some assumptions, and there are some implications in that statement that he Yeah, made. you know, and I'm I'm making some assumptions there, too, I would admit. Um, but that was the best of my interpretation of what I was picking up from him. It felt like there was this epistemic dread, this this kind of almost crisis of, gosh, there's just so much out there. How can we know that anything is true? And by extension, how can we know that Christianity is true? And I felt that was... That was a piece that was really nagging at his faith and, and making it difficult for him to continue on as a Christian. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, I think I'm tracking with you at that point. And so the the other comment I just wanted to point out is the, uh, the real point that I think I want you to get out of today is that your ability to to discern what is true. And I think that's kind of another word to describe our conversation today, Matthew. That's mm-hmm. kind of where it fits is in the context of discernment. Can I be a discerning disciple? Can I be a discerning person? Do I have the attribute of discernment, learning to both discern what is true, what is false, what is helpful, what's unhelpful, and also what's good from what's evil? Mm -hmm. This is part, this is integral to the life of an effective disciple. Anyone who's going to be a disciple in Jesus needs to be discerning all the time. And I think just especially because we live in a data-driven age. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, the prophet Hosea said that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Mm. And so Christian faith, Christian tradition has always been a tradition concerned about knowledge. Uh, Likewise, in Ephesians 4, Paul says that God has given leadership in the church to equip the saints so that they might be unified in the faith and knowledge and so that they might become mature. He says, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then in verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. And that's that's Ephesians 4. There's a deep importance that we are able to discern truth and able to, to put our finger on culture and what's going on and why it's going on and how we can chart these this ocean of information, you know, and, until... Um, until God brings us to the shore of heaven to be poetic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, so given this this three-part distinction that you're starting off with in terms of how to sort information to begin with, right. which is what's what's fake news, what says it's true, it's totally not, what is maybe misleading, and then also what is... Um, yeah, the stuff that may be well and good presented and so forth, but we don't... Like, how do we even deal with some of that stuff when it's yeah. still wrong? So what's next? Now that we have that distinction... Right. How does that help us? Well, why don't we just work through some of these different levels and how do we get past these different hurdles of discernment? Okay. Um, on level one, I mean, when, when we're talking about the the reality that there's so much fake news out there. Um, Especially today. Yeah, it, it might be. <laughs> just, to, just to sort of set the scene a little bit, like the reality of fake news has been considered a crisis on its own hmm. by people like even outside the church. I mean, fake news and the dangers of it and the way that it has tainted our culture. It's been talked about um, by the Pentagon. We've that The subject has been talked about by the UK Ministry of Defense, by the Cambridge Center for the Study of Existential Risk. Like, this is a big deal. Hmm. And I think maybe a very kind of relevant issue is we think about kind of how our world has handled and responded to the coronavirus and the pandemic and everything yes. going on there. Um Gosh, there were a lot of like, and also there were a lot of lives that were lost, a lot of lives that were destroyed physically, spiritually, emotionally, and and I have to wonder how much, how many of these lives could we have saved if there weren't people who were thrown in all sorts of crazy directions because of fake news, you know? Like this is this is a big deal. So how do we deal with fake news? I remember. 
I had a moment where this mother wrote to me at Josh McDowell Ministry mm-hmm. seeking help for her son who was writing all these emails to her, uh, challenging her faith. And so she was forwarding her son's emails on to me to be like, okay, how do, how do I deal with this? And one of the emails from her son, um, <laughs> the, the title, the headline he had, it read this. He said that the Catholic Church not only removed and changed the contents of the Bible, they did something worse. They removed the names of Yahweh and Yeshua and kept it hidden for centuries. Here's the proof. Apparently, on February 24th, 2017, Pope Francis ordered the Vatican secret archives to pull out a strange set of ancient scrolls which were kept secret for centuries by the Roman Catholic Church, and these scrolls revealed the true name of God. That was interesting. Um, <laughs> but I, so I'm like, uh-huh, very okay. And I'm so I, I, took, uh-huh. I took that text that was forwarded to me from, from the mother's son. I took that text. I just ran it in a search engine, and I found out that the whole email was basically copy and pasted from this person on a website called Quora. The person's name is Kathleen. And if you don't know, Quora is a website where anybody in their sweatpants can jump online and answer questions to the general public as they ask them. Um, so, you know, somebody's asking about the Bible and, and manuscripts in the name of God. And so you get this thing talked about by Kathleen about the Pope and all this. Uh, and then as I looked at what Kathleen had to say, I noticed that a chunk of her writing actually came from somewhere else. It came from a website called Real News Right Now, which is a fake satire news website. Okay, so everything on it is completely made up. And this this woman named Kathleen, like she never bothered to check her source. It just sounded good. And so she posted that in Quora. And like when I see that, I'm just like, this is really sad. Why is someone doing this? And it's a crying shame yeah, that yeah. this boy thought he could just copy and paste this random person on Quora named Kathleen talking nonsense about secret scrolls and ancient archives and call it proof. Like, what is going on? <laughs> like this, and my point is, it, it, I was looking at this and I, I, so here I am interacting with this mother saying, look, it's just fake. And I remember feeling and thinking about this afterwards, man, here this, this concerned mother is, is writing to Josh McDowell ministry, hoping that a specialist can help sort through this kind of information. But what I discovered does not take a specialist to figure out. All it takes is just a little bit of effort to do your homework before you believe and propagate false information. And so really, my friend. Yeah. And so really like the, the first step to all this, to making it past level one discernment, it's not all that hard. Just do your homework. My goodness, ask yourself, who is the author? Uh, is the author qualified to speak on this subject? Uh, who is the publisher? It, is the publisher a respectable publisher? Does the author cite good sources? Uh, are like all these sorts of questions that should be very basic to us when we do our research and present information, especially as Christians. I mean, this stuff should matter to us more than anyone else because of our concern for knowledge and truth. And so do your homework. That that really is kind of the first step, I would say, to get past uh, the level one barrier, the level of discernment as yes. we sort through the false information in this world. Level one barrier, getting past fake news. Check your sources. Check your sources. Yeah. I love it. Matthew, and, that's and so important. Just to kind of, on that note real quick, if you cannot find a satisfiable, if this information comes from an author that is unknown or unqualified or untrusted, if it doesn't have a good publisher, or even worse, if that information is not even available for you, then I would say just throw it out. Like it, it might be true, but 
we have so much information in this world. Like, don't even bother with that stuff. Uh, Find the good stuff. And to be honest, like you've, if you get rid of information, just don't really spend much time worrying about information that doesn't hit those important markers. You've just eliminated probably like 95% of this ocean of information. Yeah. There's still a lot, a lot for you to work with. There really is. But that's an important step. And I hate to sound like a Luddite here, but I do consider myself a technological critic. And I will just point out here for, this is beneficial to our listener. The context that we're talking about information is digital. Mm-hmm. Because even to start off the conversation, you were talking about how much information gets produced in three seconds and almost everything that you mentioned, almost everything, not everything, but most of it was digital. And so uh, this is a shout out to print publications. I'm a dad and I have three kids mm-hmm. and my oldest is nine. And so he's reading quite a bit, loves to read, which is great. And when he asks questions, my favorite thing to do is to say, let's go check the encyclopedia. And so we actually have in a paper set of it's an Encyclopedia Britannica. Right. And so we'll go. I call them the Brown Books because he Encyclopedia is kind of a big sure. Book. Let's go look <laughs> at the Brown Books and we go look it up. And the beauty of that is not that I'm a total luddite. It's not about paper because certainly there's printed material that's not true or mm-hmm. definitely not helpful. But major publication houses they tend to do their homework and run down their references. Right. And so they tend to be. Trustworthy. Tend to be. Not always, but they tend to be. That's one benefit. And, you know, this isn't necessarily going to help you through every level of discernment um, that we're going to be talking about. But as far as like just false lies that people propagate all the time in our world, um, usually if it's printed material that's gone through a good publishing house, you can expect at that point, at, at the very least, you're going to have information that's worth your time. Yeah, that's a great point. So what about the next segment? What do we do with information that is misleading yeah misleading information um as i talk about this you know at live events one of the things i like to do is is i'll mention to my audience about this news article i saw a while back and it said that a man totaled his brand new three hundred thousand dollar vehicle less than 30 minutes after driving it off the lot oh wow that's horrible yeah that was a headline okay so like pause and reflect on that for a second how does that kind of strike us? I mean, oftentimes, you know, you you see an article like that and you think like, oh my gosh, like what's going on? Blah, blah, blah. This is this is the reason why our culture is so messed up. <laughs> These young punks going on joyrides and spending all this money. And realize yes, though, like, yes. so so I clicked onto that article. I, I, I took the bait and I decided to actually read what it said. Apparently, it was this guy who bought a very expensive vehicle. Yeah, like $300,000. Uh, and as he was driving it off the lot, it had a mechanical failure, mm. an issue with the manufacturing of that car. It stalled out and he got rear-ended. Oops. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> now, <laughs> is he? Is it still technically true that like he totaled his $300,000 vehicle after 30 minutes driving it off? Yeah. But what it goes to show is how much our brains do to kind of fill in the gaps of missing information. That's good. That we don't necessarily even realize. And this is something that's very normal. I don't know if you've, have you ever, Paul, have you ever had that moment where you feel that your cell phone is vibrating in your pocket? Oh, the phantom vibration? Yes, the phantom phone vibration. Yes. Yeah, for anyone who's listening and you've had that experience, I just want to assure you, you're not crazy. 
Like this is a real thing. People get the sensation of a phone vibrating in their pocket, even if their phone is not in their pocket. And what happens is, you know, our pants might rub against our phone in a certain kind of way. We're constantly thinking about our phone. And so when we get that experience, uh, like we don't entirely know why this happens, but the way it seems most probable is that like, we get this feeling in our pants. That's a real feeling, but our, our brains is like, oh, I know what that is. And it kind of mm. fills in the missing information for us. Mm-hmm. Um, our brains just do this. And normally it's helpful. I mean, that's why we can read uh, because we don't need to pause and look through every letter and assemble it together and, and recall all the different words. We know like we mm-hmm. just, we can fluidly go through a lot of things in life, which is great. But it also means we have to be careful when we read headlines and things because of the way our brain fills in false information. So the first step uh, for hurdle number one is to do your homework. Second is to get the context. Get the context. Get the context. Yeah, that is so important because without the context, we have these empty holes in our head that our brain will oftentimes just fill in without us really even knowing. Mm. Um, so is it, is it fair to, to rephrase that as putting it as a question to yourself, maybe pausing before you make an assumption or take a conclusion to ask yourself, what's the context here? Or what is, what is the circumstance surrounding which this thing occurred or happened? Yeah. And oftentimes, you know, that can start by reading the whole article. Oftentimes getting the context also means positioning that article with a larger information as a whole. Right. Because you can hear these anecdotal stories of, say, like a church that is, um, you know, being unloving and is, you know, doing these horrible things to the community around them. You might click on that and think, oh, that's interesting. And then you just told Google or Facebook or whatever that that's the kind of story you're interested in. And, and so they're going to start sending you more of those stories. And you get this impression that this is how churches are. Right. But if you actually look at the context, like you're not going to get stories published on the news about some church that's loving their community and and doing great work for them. That's not juicy, you know, Um, (laughs) but we need those statistics, the larger context even so that we can not be swayed by the biases and directions that news articles tend to, to push us in. Okay, so context is key. Ask yourself what the context is. That's great. That's helpful for misleading information. Mm -hmm. So how about the third? What do we do with the third set of information? The third set of information. So this is information that might be presented very well and clearly, but still might be wrong. And I find, at least within the Christian concerns, this kind of hits us at two different levels. One is, how do we deal with all the different religions and views and ideas that are out there? And then two, like, even if we settle with Christianity, people are asking, well, which Christianity? <laughs> all the different denominations sure, and, fair and viewpoints out there. Um, so I don't know if I have time to, to speak into all of this, but let, let me say, as far as the first one goes, all the different religions out there, it's true. Like, you can't possibly study every single religion in this world. There are just way too many. Mm -hmm. I find, though, uh, just in my work as an apologist, as I've looked at the different religions, so many of these religions are not even really systems of belief that can be evaluated, right? So you have a lot of religions that are grounded in in myth or folklore, Uh, you know, Greek religions with their various gods interacting with one another, Um, And they have various, you know, stories behind them and you can learn those stories, but you can't really examine historically if they're actually true. And for anybody to say this religion or that, I think the burden of proof is on them. When you have these religions that have these stories and the only reason they believe is because they just grew up in that culture or whatever, that's just not compelling. And so I I don't spend a lot of time with those. I don't feel like I really need to. Mm. You have a lot of other spiritualities which are not really even based on truth so much and they'll tell you that. Uh, spiritualities that have to do more with what feels good or what kind of works for you, 
personally. I mean, you get a lot of this with like new age spirituality. And even if you listen to people who went to stuff like Buddhism or, or whatever, oftentimes they won't say, well, I studied this and found out that it was true. They might, but usually it's like, well, it, it was appealing. It was fashionable, you know? And, and, and so when you really, if you want to actually examine what's true, um, you have to deal with, you, you can only deal with the information that actually is able to be tested in certain degrees. Christianity is one of those. We have Jesus, who's a real historical figure who who really did live, um, as far as most scholars are concerned, and, and he had this ministry, and he died, and there's people who said historically that he resurrected. We can start to check that against historical sources and so forth. So we can examine Christianity in ways that we just can't do with other types of religions and spiritualities. You're still going to be left with things that you need to sort through. You know, Islam have their reasons and, and Judaism and atheism and so forth. But I find it's a lot more manageable. And at that point, we have various techniques and tools that we use philosophically to help us sort through this. You know, we can talk about the different types of um, logical fallacies and, and so forth that help us think through these questions as objectively as we can. Uh, we'll never be able to, to approach this in a perfect like pure, um, unfiltered and unbiased manner, but there are ways that we can be more objective than not. And oftentimes these tools in philosophy will help us. Okay. So what I hear you saying is that a way to deal with information that's clearly presented, that's not, you know, patently false. Mm -hmm. So it's worth our time and considering another yeah. important consideration to help us filter that sort that information is to sort it through a, would you say a historical filter? One that says, Hey, are these is what's being communicated to me? Is this something that I can investigate? Yeah. Whether or not there is historical accuracy or evidence for these, any of these claims. Right. Right. And you know, apply the filter that makes sense. Christianity is is a, a religion that has a lot of historical grounding. If Jesus never really resurrected from the dead, historically speaking, everything falls apart. Um, it's unsustainable. And so we can apply the historical filter to determine, like, what does make most sense historically? Was there really this event where a man, Jesus of Nazareth, claimed to be God and resurrected and, and came back? Like, do we see that uh, when we study history? Does that make the most sense of the rise of the early church and all those other types of phenomena that we observe in first century Jerusalem? I think that can be a, a good approach. And you just can't really do that with so many other religions out there. So again, it, it, it clears away a lot of the clutter in this language. Oh, there's so many religions out there. Yes, but so many of those religions out there are not the kinds of ones which really have much to say about truth. Christianity, at least, is something testable, so we can spend time there. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, well, we've been talking about how to deal with information overload today. Mm -hmm. uh, Matthew, you've been my guest uh, from Josh McDowell Ministry. I'm glad to be having this conversation with you. Your parting shot into how to deal with information overload has been to introduce a three-part distinction, that information can be sorted into at least three different types. This information that's uh, patently false, it's fake news, information that's the first the second one that is that information that's misleading it's maybe technically true but sounds like it takes you down the road that's not right and then thirdly there's information that is clearly presented and well presented but maybe sincerely wrong and so that one's probably worth most worth our time and then how do we how do we deal with each of those three types of information right and i think as christians concerned about knowledge uh, we really do need to do our homework we need to get the context and we need to apply what we learn with proper tools of thought and and to really examine what we know to be true. Okay. Um, can I close with a kind of final maybe word of encouragement? 
that I found as I've wandered through this journey myself? Yes, I have two more comments, actually. Oh, okay. Well, the the first one is, I just wanted the listener to know that this is a value for you, at least I value this for you. I want you to be able to get out of today's conversation, not only discernment, but also a biblical worldview. And so hopefully it's been clear that the truth revealed in Scripture comes first, and it's primary in informing decisions and informing our worldview, informing how we sort information to begin with. It's our final authority when it comes to um, knowledge, information, truth, reality, identity, salvation, mm-hmm. everything. And so that's a value. I want that to be something that you've improved today because if you, you tap to listen to this podcast. The other one is, this is close but unrelated. Matthew, you told me that Job 28 has something to do with our conversation today. And if there's something to be said from the word, I totally yeah, want, I yeah. want to hear about it. I know we've we've been kind of a lot of kind of heady a little bit, and I did yeah. want to go to Job. That's what I had in mind. And it's funny you even mentioned your first comment about wisdom and, and knowledge from Scripture because that's mm-hmm. that is a lesson of Job 28. I found. So let let me kind of set the scene. Okay. Um, the book of Job. It's it's classified as wisdom literature. Right. We often think of Job as answering the question, "Why does God allow evil and suffering?" Yes. It does that to some degree, but. I find when I've studied Job that it actually uses suffering as a kind of launch pad to get into some even deeper issues concerning wisdom. So in Job, you have this incredibly wealthy man. He's very well off. He has a lot of you know sheep and goats and so forth. I suppose I'd be kind of the uh, the ancient Near East equivalent of having a lot of Bitcoin today or all something. in, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but in Go in a chain. moment, in a moment, he loses all of it. He's completely ruined. His friends come and they start talking to him in Job chapter three. And what his friends start saying is they're like, they say, look, Job, I'm so sorry for what's going on. I'm paraphrasing here. But they they say, look, the, the reason that you're suffering is because you must have done something bad and God is punishing you. Job disagrees. And so they get into an argument. Now, if you're kind of like me, I remember I had a stage in my life where I thought that if we could just talk through stuff long enough, eventually we'd all agree on everything. Yeah, you know, sure. like when I was young and naive, like we, <laughs> you'd, you'd kind of think it would eventually come to an agreement. Be nice. I'd love totally. to live in that world. Um, and reading Job, you get just like on and on it goes. Like Job says this, friends say that. Job says no, you're wrong. Friends say no, you're wrong. And I had an Old Testament professor. He said that by the time you're halfway through the book of Job, you're about ready to throw your Bible against the wall. Because it's just, it's maddening. Like you, 25 chapters later and you get no progress. But then you hit Job chapter 28. And this is what I want to kind of leave you guys with chewing over a little bit. Um, Job 28. This is actually not the part where God speaks up, if, if you know that book. Uh, this is earlier. Uh, it's still kind of in the middle of the dialogue. But there's a new question asks. It says in Job 28, but where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? Um, and, and you get this kind of grim outlook uh, in verse 13. It says, no mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed out in silver. Uh, and, and so you get this, this kind of grim outlook. Like, here's the thing. Like, even if you do all these practices and techniques that I've been sharing on discerning wisdom and so forth, um, you will never, on your own power, you will never find true wisdom. That's the lesson of Job. Like, you could have all the resources and all the books and all the time in the world to study these things. But it goes on to say in Job 20, uh, 28, verses 23 to 28, God understands a way to it. He understands a way to wisdom and knowledge. 
God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells, for he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When, that, when, when he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it, he confirmed it and tested it, and he said to the human race, pause, like this is important, we just heard that God knows wisdom and he's now speaking, he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom and to shun evil is understanding. And so, you know, as I've pondered why we live in a 21st century where we're still wrestling with these deep questions of information and you have all these level-headed people with all of our knowledge on human psychology and epistemology and so forth, like Mm -hmm. why do we still disagree about stuff? Maybe it's because Job chapter 28 got it right because God has reserved wisdom and knowledge for himself. And although we can use these great tools and use our mind that God has given us to help us sort through these things, at the end of the day, we must trust and rely on the wisdom of God and listen to his voice above anyone else. That is the fear of the Lord. Um, and he is the only one qualified to, to, to help us sort through all the information that we experience in this world. That is profound, Matthew. Thank you for sharing that. I love that. You know, there's uh, implications there in that idea of uh, when you say that wisdom belongs to the Lord, when the Lord keeps it to himself, that uh, um, no amount of exertion, no amount of human effort is going to understand wisdom in its fullest. That's the way it's portrayed there in Job 28. And what's interesting about that is the implications of Revelation. Mm-hmm. When you consider about revelation in terms of uh, revelation from God, knowledge or information that's revealed or unveiled from God, we think about general revelation being things like Psalm 19, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. There's knowledge that we can understand by perception that's understood as general general revelation. But special revelation, that which the knowledge which God keeps to himself and reveals by his choice to mankind through his word, that's something of a completely different order, something that's not... Uh, that's not discernible through strictly human means. Right. There's interesting implications there that Job 28 is, is setting up there. Yeah. Kind of sorting out like God's revelation versus what we can attain on our own. And like, that'll take a little more language that we don't have time to, to unpack here. <laughs> but I do want our audience, and I'm sure you do too, to realize like, it's not just using all your best knowledge and mind power to make this work. Like we do need God. We have to take God with us. Yeah. And that's good. And by the way, listener, we have a podcast on general revelation. We have one on special revelation. You can go ahead and check those episodes out. Those are super good. At the same time though, this, uh, this principle is helpful when we consider how to sort out information, even those impl- even if you draw in those two, uh, terms, special revelation and general revelation mm-hmm. in terms of how we sort out information that we have, uh, you need special revelation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's one that's one conclusion I'm drawing from Job 28 when God says he revert, reserves it for himself. And then he says, listen to me, the wisdom is to, let me quote it so I get it right. Sure. Wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Understanding is turning from evil. And mm-hmm. how do you know what evil is unless the Lord reveals it? Right. The yeah. fear of the Lord is. Yeah. So if there's anybody listening who's even questioning their faith, not really sure if God is real or any of this. I would encourage you that like take God with you on this exploration because if Christianity is true, then we will never be able to reach that level of knowledge and understanding unless God is there revealing that to us in our journey. Even if you don't believe God is real, we can still pray to him. We can still ask for help and, and just observe and see what happens as we go about this journey of, of discovering truth. 
That's so good, Matthew. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation. Did you have one last thing you wanted to say? No, I feel pretty talked out. Oh, okay, <laughs> great. You, great. You got to say it then. <laughs> well, I really enjoyed our conversation. I, th- I think you landed the plane really well there for our listener and uh, and gave them their, their so what. Uh, I've really had a good time talking with you today. Listener, this has uh, been Head and Heart, a new podcast by Probe Ministries. I've been your host, Paul Rutherford. As always, feel free to check out our website. We have tons more resources on this and lots of other things at probe.org. That's P-R-O-B-E dot O-R-G. We hope you have been blessed by this episode, and we will see you next time. Matthew, thanks for hanging out with us. Thank you.